Howdy, folks, and welcome to A Green Way Forward. I'm your host, David Cobb, coming at you from Eureka, California, joined, as always, by Michael O'Neill in Syracuse, New York. Howdy, Michael. Hey, David. And a very special uh, show for y'all tonight because we have guests from Washington, D.C., from outside the Venezuela Embassy, longtime Green Party activist Ursula Rosa. Ursula, welcome to A Green Way Forward. Great to be here. Thanks for having us on. And wait, there's more because inside the Venezuela Embassy in Washington, D.C., we have Packy Weiland. Packy Weiland, Packy, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. Uh, by the way, I'm a green too. All right, so we got four greens coming at you on a green way forward. Wonderful. Well, uh, Packy and Ursula, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Now, um, you are live both inside and just outside of the Venezuelan embassy in D.C. Uh, Paki, let's start with you since you're actually inside the embassy. Can you please uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself and what Code Pink is doing residing in the Venezuelan embassy and why you are there? Well, I'm, I'm Paki Wieland. I uh, am living currently in Washington, D.C., my retirement job at the moment and when I'm not in the embassy is uh, doing the house organizing, house mothering at the Code Pink House. But I'm here in D.C. at the embassy right now, the Venezuelan embassy, because there are a lot of things happening in relation to Venezuela and, uh, and most, most precisely the biggest reason I'm here is because there was an attempted coup that was being orchestrated to a great extent by my government. And I've seen in my lifetime too many coups. And here was an opportunity to actually get engaged in stopping one. And uh, explain to us and, and to our audience, how does residing in the Venezuelan embassy um, help to oppose this coup? And And when we talked earlier on the phone, I accidentally referred to you and other Code Pink members being there as an occupation, and you corrected me as to why that's the wrong term. Um, If you can distinguish for our audience, uh, again, how this is uh, helping to oppose the coup and and the distinct nature of of how you came to be there and and what you're accomplishing. Sure. Um, We're not an occupation because we were actually involved and we were invited by the legitimately elected government of Venezuela. There were threats against the government. And uh, in fact, two of the buildings have already been lost here. In one was a military and another building. And so the, uh, the, there was a great concern that there could be a, a takeover of this embassy, the Venezuelan embassy here in Washington, D.C. And we were asked to come to be placeholders for the people in the government until there was a a resolution, until there was a solution to this diplomatic crisis. And so so we came, and for the first few weeks we were here, we we came and went. Uh, There was open egress, and uh, and we we rotated, staying overnight and, uh, and coming and going. A lot of us were able to work here in the embassy. Then on the 10th, the 30th of April, last Tuesday, 
there was an attempted coup in Caracas, in, in Venezuela. And, uh, and there was a great concern. People would just come in, swarm in, and try to take over the, uh, the embassy. Um, so we stayed here. We, we locked ourselves in. We, uh, we, we changed our, we, we were behind the barricade and, and agreed that we would stay here as the opposition got very angry about us being here. So and before we go any further, Paki, so I just want to kind of help break things down for our audience. Um, yeah. You know, what we've seen is that while the Maduro government in Venezuela has uh, stayed in control of the state apparatus in Venezuela, the United States and other countries that are opposing this coup, they have worked from the outside to basically try to delegitimize and take away any assets that we that we can from outside of Venezuela's border. So like freezing Venezuelan accounts that are held here in the United States or turning over assets like the embassy to the um, the Guaido faction. And so you're residing there is helping to block uh, having that embassy being turned over from the, the Guaido turned over to the Guaido faction. Is, is that an yes. accurate summary? Okay, excellent. Yes. Now, now I'd like to actually turn to Ursula Rosam, who is live on the street outside of the, of the embassy. Ursula, uh, can you tell us a bit about the, what you've encountered there uh, in, in the scene around the embassy and specifically uh, what interactions Code Pink has had with members of the Guaido faction and those people who are supporting intervention or a coup in Venezuela? So out here in front of the embassy, there's really um, people of all types of, I guess, um, characters. You know, over the past couple days, um, members of Code Pink have been assaulted and groped when we tried to deliver food and supplies into the building. Um, Ty Berry, um, a Code Pink member from D.C., was pushed into a security officer by a pro-Guaido um, protester out here, and he's, um, he's in jail right now, and we don't know when he'll, uh, when he'll get out. Um, and then some people, you know, just want to talk, and so we've had all types of interactions. Um, but we, I mean, I think what's interesting, worth noting about the pro Guaido protesters, um, some, there were on Twitter, some people may have seen going around, um, images that really reveal the class character of some of the pro Guaido people here. Um, one of the people was identified as, um, a top CEO, uh, or, you know, like a top ranking worker at Raytheon. There's someone else that works for the IMF that's here. Um, so when you think, you know, there, I think that there are people here who are really concerned about their family in Venezuela who are unable to get food and medicine, largely due to U.S. sanctions on Venezuela. Uh, but there are also individuals here supporting um, the, you know, the Trump's, uh, the, the, the leader that Trump um, declared as president of Venezuela, Juan Guaido. Um, so people that work for defense companies, for the IMF. Um, because it's largely um, Venezuela's elites that want to see the um, government of Maduro overturned and that are um, asking for military intervention from the United States. So, Ursula, I'm going to jump in uh, and let you know. Go ahead, David. 
So, uh, Ursula, they, they, we are getting a lot of love and appreciation from the uh, from the live stream. People are grateful uh, that y'all are there. There's also some questions, though, so I want to take one step back and ask uh, either Paki or Ursula to give us a little context about the election, who won the election, and why we are in some sort of crisis when there was an election in Venezuela. Uh, what, like a little more context, please, because we are getting a lot of questions uh, on the live stream uh, about some of that backstory. Okay, I'll start this and Ursula join in. Um, there was an election. There was some debate in Venezuela about the election, when it was going to happen, and the legitimacy, which uh, were, were issues raised by really the, the neocons more than anyone else. So the election was finally called, and uh, a number of people boycotted it. But the people who came to the polls, the voters, voted overwhelmingly for Maduro. Now, uh, and we had, there were outside international observers who, who verified that this was a legitimate election. People, some, lots of people didn't attend, but he won overwhelmingly. So, uh, so that's, that's some of the background that, that there was a, a legitimate election held last spring, last winter, I think in the fall, and, and he won. Um, but, uh, so rather than engage in a in a a, a, a parliamentary debate or uh, run candidates, they they the opposition, the the neocons uh, and neoliberals said, no, we have to uh, we're we're opposed to this, and we see this as an illegitimate government. Obviously, it is a legitimate government, and. Um, so that, and that's part part of why I'm here. Um, Ursula, do you have something you want to add to that? Um, I'm sorry, I forgot what the question was already. But I do. Um, I, I will add that um, several months ago, um, Trump, for example, appointed Elliot Abrams as you know his special envoy for Venezuela. Um, right after he declared, after Trump declared Juan Guaido the president of Venezuela, even though, um, you know, as Kevin Zeese has said, all of us got as many votes as Juan Guaido for president of Venezuela. Um, so several months ago, Trump appointed Elia Abrams to be um, a special envoy for Venezuela. And this is someone who, going back to the 80s, um, was involved in overseeing massacres throughout Central America. Um, when the U.S. was supporting right-wing governments there. So um, some of the characters involved in trying to overthrow the government of Nicolas Maduro, um, you know, are people that we know from very recent history. Um, so that's why a lot of us are out here, because we really oppose these kinds of coups and interventions in our name by the U.S. government. So, uh, Paki, uh, going back to you, um, can you tell us a bit more about uh, what is Code Pink's position regarding the crisis in Venezuela? I think a lot of people interpret uh, opposition with the coup as synonymous with 100% uncritical support of the Maduro government. 
So if you can help us uh, uh, break down what is Code Pink's perspective and how does that follow from Code Pink's history as uh, a, you know, a, a group that has fought for peace and specifically fought to oppose U.S. imperialism going back, what, a couple decades now? Yes. So uh, I think this is a perfect lead-in. Um, Co-Pink was founded as a women's-led peace organization. We, uh, we began in opposition to the war in Iraq. And the similarities between the war in Iraq and the war on Venezuela, uh, the proposed war, the possible war on Venezuela, are, are glaring in their, in their uh, resemblance. The, uh, the mainstream media in both cases is portraying uh, the, the current leader, uh, Maduro, as a terrible person, as a dictator, as a, 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 a terrible leader. And uh, it sounds like Saddam Hussein, doesn't it? And uh, and he may be, but um, we could look at a number of places closer to home where we have terrible leaders. But uh, the coup is not the in, the invitation uh, to to remedy that. I think the thing that's most important is for me. I've I have watched in my own country, and I know enough of history to know what this co- country, the United States, has done. How it has participated in how it is fostered how it is it has orchestrated coups time and time again and uh and this is the first time that we were i was aware enough and was with cohort who was aware enough to say wait we can perhaps do something to intervene to support not having a coup to to block a coup and uh and so it was. It was just how it was a no-brainer. How could we say no to that? So, so I think. Uh, just, just, you know. I want to make sure that uh, viewers and listeners really understand that Trump appointed Elliot Abrams to be special envoy, and for some of us, this was not just particularly offensive, but it's absolutely outrageous. Because this is the same fellow during the Iran-Contra affair uh, who gave false testimony to Congress. Uh, He was sanctioned by the District of Columbia Bar. Uh, This is somebody with a proven track record of lying to Congress during foreign policy about Latin America. That's the guy, right? The same, the same, yes. And it also brings up the fact that just as in the Iran-Contra and Iraq war, there is, as Michael O'Neill often talks about it, a horrific bipartisan support for what's going on there. Michael, can I turn it over to you? Absolutely. And I'm going to turn it right back over to our amazing guests. If you can talk about how both the Democratic and Republican parties have expressed support for a coup in Venezuela and uh, and how you're seeing that play out, uh, both in terms of how Code Pink is, is interacting with the broader public, either in the streets or on social media, uh, as you're talking to elected officials, and also how you're seeing it play out there in, in the immediate vicinity of the Venezuelan embassy. So uh, go ahead, Paki. One of the things that, that we're doing is everywhere we can demythologize the uh, the righteousness of the coup. 
And uh, and it was really an, an uphill battle because both the Democratic and Republican Party are, are benefit from the uh, the neoliberal agenda. They both benefit from the oil companies. They both benefit from the very various companies that will that are just licking their chops to to extract the the wealth of Venezuela be it oil or the other the other precious metals and so so i think um they're really they're really caught short because it's so it's so blatant and uh and yet because the just as what happened in the lead up to the iraq war the mainstream media is uh is really hoodwinking people into portraying Maduro as such a bad guy, and uh, and I won't say whether how bad or good he is. I know some of the things that he's done since he and uh, and Chavez, Hugo Chavez, began to really implement the Bolivarian Revolution in Venezuela. The the housing that was built, the the preferential treatment of the poor is what they were involved in and have been involved in, whether it's education, raising literacy, health care, bringing in doctors, Cuban doctors and training their own doctors, uh, the, the production of their own food. There's so many things that, that the Bolivarian Revolution really brought to the people of Venezuela. Who doesn't like that, you might ask? Certainly not the peasants, certainly not the campesinos. The people who don't like that are the people that 1%, 10%, the, the very wealthy who, uh, who have complained about communism. And what our friends who have recently been, I haven't, but our friends who have recently returned from Venezuela have told us that, you know, they don't see a lot of, quote, socialism. They, uh, they see a lot of, a lot of small capital. They see a lot of, a lot of, Dedication to turning the the country to do the good for the most people in the country, and the greatest, of course, obstacle to that is right now the sanctions imposed by the United States. Folks, you're watching and/or listening to a Green Way Forward. I'm your host, David Cobb, joined by Michael O'Neill. We have as guests Ursula Rosam and Paki Wieland, who has are at the Venezuelan embassy. A reminder to you, please share this stream if you're watching on Facebook, on your own page or any page that you manage. Also go to the website, agreenwayforward.org and sign up so you can know about upcoming guests, premiums, and we can continue to build a source for non-corporately filtered news information and analysis. So Ursula, um, Getting back to your view from from outside the embassy, uh, can you tell us about how uh, this this particular evening has been progressing in terms of the ebb and flow of the you know supporters uh, for the uh, for the Code Pink residents or the the people from the Guaido faction who uh, are you know or people who are just supporting uh, regime change in Venezuela? What's the situation like there and? What would be difficult for people to understand about the current situation if they weren't actually right there like you are now? Uh, well, actually, being here is confusing as well, um, which I'll get to. Um, so over the weekend, um, there are very large crowds here, but it's Monday now, and the crowd has picked up a little bit um, in 
directly in front of the embassy around the building on the sidewalk are the uh, pro-Guaido and pro-regime change protesters, um, many Venezuelans and Nicaraguans. Um, and then across the street are um, anti-war, anti-intervention activists with Code Pink. And also there's many members of Veterans for Peace here today. But being a Monday, it's calmed down. It's, it's a much quieter day. Um, the music started playing at about 6.30 or so. So we had um, you know, the, the protectors playing music out the window, um, playing re revolutionary music from around the world. And then the pro-Guaido protesters playing different music. So it's very loud. Um, but there's fewer people here today, so it's a little bit easier also to, um, for people from both sides to kind of cross over and talk to each other a little bit. Um, I think it's, it's been important to be able to communicate to some of the pro-Guaido folks that we're not necessarily here because we support uh, Maduro necessarily, but rather that we, we oppose U.S. military interventions in other countries. And it's really important to be here because of the deafening silence that we, from coming from the political elites of this country, there are a few members of Congress that have spoken out um, to some degree about, um, about um, Trump's support for Guaido um, and, you know, like Ilhan Omar and Representative Cicilline has a resolution, uh, 1004 in Congress that would um, prevent U.S. military aid and troops from being used in Venezuela. So I would encourage people to look up H.R. 1004. But most people, uh, if people that are following what's happening um, in Venezuela and with the Trump's support for Guaido um, would have heard that Joe Biden recently spoke um, about military intervention being, you know, on the table and something that he would support. Um, and, it, you know, Joe Biden, who also supported the Iraq war, which is also based on lies, just like Hockey said. Um, so there's many of us out here who are very, you know, um, being, we're, we have signs, we're chanting when it gets quiet, but we're really trying to convey that we oppose the coup, we oppose U.S. military intervention, because we know from history um, that it really just um, makes life more dangerous for people on the ground. And we know that Trump does not care about hungry, sick people in Venezuela. I mean, if you come to Syracuse, 50% of the kids in our city are poisoned by lead. You know, they have developmental problems because of that. You walk down any in any city in the United States, right? And there's homeless, hungry people. Um, you know, we have a humanitarian crisis in this country. And we try to convey to the pro-Guaido folks in front of the embassy that we were opposed to the coup um, and that we're opposed to the sanctions. And um, yeah, that's what, that's the message we're trying to get across here. Thank you, Ursula. I just want to read a quick comment from the live stream. Matt writes in to say, why is it that America only brings democracy to countries with oil? And I think that's a great question. And we've got Fred who wrote in to say, Code Pink is great. I've been a fan since the Berkeley recruiters protest. People all over the world uh, should really appreciate their work. And so we've got some love coming in from Code Pink and uh, some skepticism of the intentions of, of the United States when it claims uh, to enact a humanitarian intervention. Uh, Paki, uh, getting back to you, 
Can you talk a bit about how it's it's not just military intervention in Venezuela, but that uh, the economic intervention that is maybe favored by uh, kinder, gentler imperialists of maybe like the Obama stripe, but that the, the economic sanctions have also wrought violence upon the people of Venezuela. And did the U.S. and, and its allies... Um, its pressure on Venezuela and the uh, forces it's been bringing to bear, bringing to bear, did those really just start just with this most recent election, or is there a longer history there in terms of the U.S. fencing in uh, Venezuela or trying to curtail uh, the legacy of of the Chavista regime or administration? Oh, that's a great lead-in because um, sanctions have been in place since before Donald Trump. Um, I, I was just I was doing some research on sanctions, looking at the sanctions against various countries that the United States has imposed. And I came across a very interesting little factoid, and that is that um, President James Madison, uh, there had been a proposal to have uh, sanctions against France and England in the lead up to the War of 1812. And uh, and. The wisdom of his cabinet, of, of President Madison's cabinet, was sanctions don't work. So they decided to do away with sanctions. Obviously, they've had a rebirth, and uh, and it, it, there is that that notion because we don't know a lot about sanctions um, that that you know sanctions are not war. And for any of us who who lived through and and were aware during the uh, the war on Iraq, the beginning of the war in Iraq, that years before that, there was a war on Iraq. It wasn't guns, but it was the sanctions. And so there were thousands of people who who lost their lives, children, medicines, things uh, that didn't get through. In fact, pencils were barred because they had lead in them. I mean, it was absolutely absurd. And and I think one of the things that that, um, there's a, a group, the Lantos Commission, in uh, committee in in Congress in the House, which is a human rights co- commission, and Jim McGovern is is one of the co chairs. And what they're going to be doing is looking at sanctions, looking at the history of sanctions and how ineffective they are in in harming regimes, but in hurting and in, in how effective they are in really hurting the population. So so we're we're totally opposed to sanctions and and need to expose that too. Um, I want to just give a shout out to Ursula and all the wonderful people from um, Answer, from uh, Veterans for Peace, for, uh, from all the people. The Dorothy Day Catholic Worker has brought together people uh, who are standing outside in opposition to the opposition to us. And, uh, and they're able to engage with them in ways we can't. And, and it's so heartening to look out and to wave to our friends who are there sitting outside in support of us, sitting, dancing, standing. And so, so I want to shout out to them and, um, and to let people know that, um, that there's this bill that Ursula referred to, which is a very good bill brought by uh, David Ciceline, who's from uh, Rhode Island, that it says we won't do a military intervention in, in Venezuela. And what I'm asking people to do is if your Congress people have signed that bill to push them a little further, because it's not only we don't want military intervention, we want a diplomatic solution. 
And so to really push for diplomacy. And I know it's a strange thought in these days, but it's something that some people with good memories will remember that, that the, even the United States engaged in on occasion. So, Ursula, I'm going to actually pose a specific question to you because people in the chat are actually quite concerned for your safety. They are observing how you are uh, interacting on the street. And we're wondering, I and Michael, but our viewers and listeners are wondering, how are you feeling uh, yourself? What's it like there on the street? Um, Well, we're so uh, both sides are separated. by uh there's lots there's a heavy police presence here uh earlier i counted about 10 police cars there's federal agents secret service here police uh, like dc police and they seem to be very friendly with uh the pro guaido people in front of the embassy um we feel um personally i feel safe because it's uh there's a lot of people um it's uh, but there are people that have been uh, attacked. I mentioned earlier um, that my, my friend and colleague, Arielle Gold, was groped a few days ago. Some of us have gotten pushed around when we've crossed the street to get closer to the embassy. Um, and I will add that, um, you know, Code Pink has received some death threats um, that, you know, that sounded pretty scary a few days ago. Um, and one of the journalists, here from Telesur, who has been covering um, the, prote- the the protection action, um, also had um, her her door and her locked lock um, uh, forced um, in her apartment, and now has to look. Uh, you know, she has to really be concerned about her safety. So, you know, here in the streets, we feel safe. Um, there have been instances of. Like I mentioned, you know, t- earlier, Ty Berry was pushed into a cop and was arrested for that. Um, so the police seem to very clearly be on the side of the pro-Guaido protesters. But thanks, everyone, for your concern. Um, we're, I think we're okay here on the sidewalk. So I'm going to pose this question to each of you for final thoughts. But as you give your final thoughts, I would ask you to share with viewers and listeners of A Green Way Forward for what they can do uh, in their own communities uh, to to support your efforts. Let's start with you, Paki. Okay. well, I think the, the first thing is to talk with your neighbors about the coup to talk about how this is actually an opportunity that the people, the people in this country joining with the people in Venezuela and all around the world, where the people are are informed to stand up against the coup and and to really note that this is our country, the United States, that is promoting it and that we can stand up against it. And so far, we are winning. So talk to your neighbors, follow up on that. House Resolution 1004, if your if your representative has supported it, get him or her to go further to really push for a diplomatic solution. And Ursula, uh, what are your thoughts on what people can do across the country to support your efforts there? Ursula, are you still with us? You... Sorry, I was, mu- I was muted. I'm That's sorry. okay. Um, I think that that's a really important question and I will, you know, I, first I want to just like uh, go back to that question that David asked about our, you know, the safety here. 
And the the more people are informed and paying attention to the situation in um, in Venezuela and the U.S. coup attempt, um, the more we organize, um, the more the safer we are and the more powerful we are. So I really um, agree with what Paki said. Really, there's lots of really simple things we can do. Obviously, um, there's like the you know contact your representative types of actions, but um, right the like mainstream media like the New York Times have really done a lot to try to smear some of the left, many of the left-leaning governments in Latin America that are really trying to do things that will meet the economic human rights of the people of their countries. When we talk about a Green New Deal and an economic bill of rights in the United States, we're talking about universal education, universal public health care, um, paid family leave and child care for women. These are all programs that the Chavez government, just like the government in Cuba, have been working to develop to really uplift the poor and working class people of those countries. And it's shameful that our government intervenes in the form of sanctions um, and economic warfare and now threatening military warfare. So one of the things that people around the country can do is um, take some of these messages um, that really resonate with you from this conversation today. and I, I'm a big fan of things like editorials and letters to the editor, um, community forums and educational events. Really, to um, we're not going to educate the people about the you know U.S. foreign policy through the mainstream media. It's really up to us to share what we know and to just challenge that propaganda that tries to smear any kind of government that does things differently, um, that tries to build um, a new a, you know a non-capitalist society. Um, so yeah, that's what I think people can do. And please, um, you know, this is a you know non-shameless plug for Code Pink. Um, visit CodePink.org/Venezuela. We have lots of resources on there for folks to to borrow from and to contact your reps about that Cecilini um bill as well, because um, it's there. You know, we created that for the movement. So CodePink.org/Venezuela. Thank you so much, Maki and Ursula. I want to thank each of you for what you're doing and for coming onto this program. Obviously, thank Michael O'Neill for his work as uh, an unpaid volunteer, helping to not just hate the corporate media, but to become the media. And with a hat tip to Gil Scott Heron, it may be true that the revolution will not be televised, but it can be brought to you through sources of non-corporately filtered news, information, and analysis. So please, as Ursula said, each one, teach one. We've got to use every tool in our toolbox to build a movement for peace, justice, democracy, and ecology. Thank you both for coming in. Thank all of you for listening. Keep on keeping on. Peace. A Green Way Forward is broadcast live on Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time from Dr. Jill Stein's Facebook page. Subscribe to our podcast and e-newsletter at agreenwayforward.org to make sure that you never miss an episode. You can also find us and rate us on iTunes, with more podcast platforms being added each week. Our theme music is Retro Future Dirty by Kevin McLeod, whose fine music can be found at incomptech.com and is available for use under a Creative Commons attribution license. This is Michael O'Neill for David Cobb reminding you to please spread the word about A Green Way Forward and to send us your thoughtful questions and comments to agreenwayforward at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.